Welcome to the official Barclays Premier League podcast, brought to you by Barclays. Hello, I'm Jackie Oatley and welcome to you wherever you are in the world. We're just three games in and a surprise team leads the way. Four games and four wins for us at the start of the season and and they're getting the rewards since January really. Our our record's been very, very good. Crystal Palace travelled to Old Trafford this weekend and defender Dean Moxie tells us he has no fear. I'm excited, I'm I'm not nervous. It's the team I've supported since I was a young boy. It's going to be a dream come true to play against them. And Stylian Petrov gives us an emotional account of his fight against leukaemia. That's what I've done all my life playing football, running after the ball. At that stage, was something more important than that fight for my life. I'm joined by former Liverpool and Spurs defender John Scales and football journalist Paddy Barkley as we take an in-depth look at how England's top flight is shaping up. Swansea chairman Hugh Jenkins explains how his players had to be brought back down to earth after last season's heroics. Plus, we'll hear from Maro Anfellaini on his dream move, Theo Walcott on Arsenal's record-breaking signing and Roberto Martinez on possibly the best business of the lot. Hello and welcome back to the official Barclays Premier League podcast and hello to John and Paddy. So gentlemen, a quick word on the transfer window which shut last week. Who is this standout signing for you, John? You can't look any further than Ozil. You know, Mesut Ozil, you know, coming in on that last day. It was the impact that it had for Arsenal. All the speculation was they weren't going to get somebody. They'd miss out on everybody. So for me, I think he's going to have great impact. Paddy? I was praying he wouldn't say Ozil. (laughs) (laughs) I'd just echo every word John's just said. The just thought of it excites me. Okay, in terms of surprise signing, I'm guessing you're probably going to say the same, are you? I, I, Both I was. Of you. Well, this that... is going to be a fun podcast, <laughs> isn't it? <laughs> I'll see what Paddy says in a minute. But yeah, I'd have to say the surprise was Ozil. <laughs> I mean, I do think there was, uh, I mean, I love conspiracy theories, but, you know, was uh, Daniel Levy deliberately trying to uh, sort of drag the mm. Bale saga out that week? I do think there was some merit in that. Yeah, my surprise would be uh, William, because I genuinely, <laughs> I, gen- I was really looking forward to um, to him joining Spurs because I think it was just what they needed. But obviously Chelsea shared that view and signed him instead. Well, with the international break coming just three games into the new Barclays Premier League season and the managers being no doubt absolutely delighted about that, this week we're going to have a look at how each club has fared so far. So we'll begin with the only team to still have a 100% record in the league, which is Liverpool. Were you surprised by the way they've started? Nope. And uh, I was in a minority of of one at uh, the Barclays Premier League's pre-season gathering for journalists. I was going around telling everybody who would listen that Liverpool would uh, qualify for the Champions league next season and I got a lot of scoffing uh, so I shall enjoy very much the start of Liverpool I'm not surprised at all because I think the quality of management you could see at the end of last season that Brendan Rodgers had got them organised the way he wants. John how do you think Liverpool have progressed under Rodgers because it is a work in progress isn't it? Well it is and it's a work in progress it's getting better and better a lot was made of Suarez going to be missing for the start of the season Sturridge I think worked brilliantly in the summer you know had a knock he came in he did what he needed to do to get himself fully fit he's, he's reaping the rewards as are Brendan Rodgers and, and, the, and the rest of his teammates they've done brilliantly we were just talking about you know the transfer business they've done you know and Laurie and Sacco two centre-halves Torre who's come in and done very well before he got injured suddenly Skirtle when he was needed came in against Manchester United and, and had that relationship with Aga that was so important to them but you look throughout the team and he's done a great job but it, it's more about what Paddy's saying you know he's now stamped his authority on the team got them playing in the way that they want in Coutinho they've got a, a real playmaker and it's very encouraging you know, these early signs are just what every team wants. You want to hit the ground running. You want to start well. You've got the confidence. They're one in the League Cup, so it's four wins. And confidence breeds confidence. Well, let's hear from the man now behind the Reds' best start to a league campaign for 20 years, 
Brendan Rogers. I think defensively our mentality has, has got better all the time and that resolve that we have in the group now and that togetherness was very evident. So uh, they've been outstanding. But we worked uh, really, really hard over the course of pre-season in order to get a good start. So it's four games and four wins for us at the start of the season and I was very proud of the, the pathway that they're taking to work and, and for us to be better. And, and as I said, since January, really, our, our record's been very, very good. Sturridge, Paddy, three winners out of three. Do you see him continuing this good form? Yes, I do. I think that Brendan Rodgers has handled him very, very well. Glenn Johnson's another English example of a player who's playing by far the best football of his career under Rodgers' guidance. But Sturridge, of course, is the one that's grabbing the headlines, scoring goals, leading the line well. Terrific enthusiasm, infectious enthusiasm, which is what you want from a player. So I think he's, he's going to have a great season, which is good news for Liverpool, good news for the Barclays Premier League and good news for the England national team. Next up for Liverpool and Rodgers is a tough trip to his former club Swansea on Monday night. The man who hired Brendan Rodgers back in 2010 was the Swansea City chairman, Hugh Jenkins. And I'm pleased to say he joins us on the line now. Hi, Hugh. Yeah, hi. Well, before we speak about Brendan Rodgers and the match against Liverpool on Monday, let's talk a little bit about your start to the season. Uh, you began with those defeats against Manchester United and Spurs, but then you won 2-0 at West Brom in your last game. So how would you assess the start you've made? Yeah, I think when the fixtures come out, we knew that the first game against Man United and the away game against Spurs are going to be difficult. But I think with the uh, preparation we had with the Europa League games as well, Perhaps our boys were a little bit too confident going into those games. And personally, I didn't think we'd give a good account of ourselves. But there's no doubt about it. We, we were up against two good teams and, and that provided, obviously, the, a difficult start to the season. But from then on, really, we had a good performance at West Brom and got back more like ourselves, really. We've had a very productive summer in terms of transfer dealing, the likes of Wilfred Bonney for a club record £12 million. You've also brought in John Joe Shelby, Jordi Amat and the deadline day signing of Alvaro Vasquez, amongst others. How pleased are you with the business you've done? I think it was important to get players in early. Obviously, with Alvaro coming in late, there was always a need to bring in an extra forward. Sometimes it's not great leaving it to the last minute, but saying that, we, we got him in on time. And I think Michael Loudrup is quite happy with the squad we got, and he was looking forward to bringing them all together now after the international break and with all the fixtures we got coming up, looking forward to the rest of the season. Hugh, how, how many people get involved in the decision-making on, on recruitment? I mean, obviously the manager, obviously you. Who else gets involved? Yeah, we try to keep it simple as we can, really. The main people, obviously, myself and the manager. And while we've got quite a few scouts in place and our head of recruitment, you know, we talk constantly, really, on a daily basis. But I think we've always tried to keep things quite simple in Swansea. And myself and the manager talk day in, day out, really, about different players and different things. And once we think we're going to go for a player, it's just between us too ready to get things done and get it moving. And Hugh, I see the uh, the average age of the sort of players recruited is, I don't know, early 20s, isn't it? And you've shifted out some slightly older players. Is it a case that you're deliberately looking to reduce the age of the squad? Are you looking to increase the size of the squad with European football? Do you really focus on that aspect of it? You're quite right. There's a couple of signs this year with John Joe Shelby, Pozuelo, Jordi Amat. You know, they are 21, 22 years of age. Alvaro has come in, he's, he's 22. I think it's to get the right balance. You know, every football manager will tell you that really is experience linked with youth and enthusiasm um, and trying to find the right balance. And hopefully that comes off and the balance is right at the end of the day. You're signing ahead of last season, Hugh, was absolutely outstanding. Meet you. Somebody not too many people here had heard of, but went on to score 22 goals and was linked with various other clubs. Did any actual firm offers come in for him? 
No, there's continued speculation. We always seem to get that every summer. But no, there was no phone calls personally to us as a club for Mitchu at all. Next match, Monday night, you face Liverpool, your former manager, Brendan Rodgers. What a fantastic start to the season he's had. How do you fancy your chances? Looking forward to that game, really, on a Monday night. Yeah, there's no doubt that Brendan has got him playing some good football. He picked up some great results the first three games. With our win up in West Brom, we're just hoping that we need to get back to winning ways back in our home ground at the Liberty Stadium. So, you know, it's going to be a great game and two good football insides. And obviously, my wish is to make sure we get a win on the night. You, what did Brendan bring to your club when he was there? Obviously, when I met Brendan, prior to appointing him, you know, his knowledge of the game and how he wanted to take things forward and his beliefs in, in football were pretty much spot on to what we wanted in our football club. The relationship I had with him was first class. Uh, I, I had no doubt in my mind that, although there was disappointment that he left Swansea City to move on, I had very little doubt that he's going to be a very, very successful manager for many years to come because he does things in the right way. He's got a great personality and he leads the club really with, uh, with his enthusiasm and personality and I think he'd be very successful, as I said. I spoke to Brendan when he was still your manager and he said it, it wasn't long before you took him there as manager that he was actually turned down for interviews for two League One clubs, so, which is quite extraordinary when you think that very shortly after that conversation he was picked up by Liverpool. Yeah, I suppose. When we've looked at bringing in managers to old clubs, it, it was never looking at prior records as a lot of clubs tried to do, but it's finding the right personality that can take forward our football um, principles. That's the number one thing I looked at and looking at a personality that can take that into the team. From the moment I had the first conversation, I thought straight away he was the right one. Well, just finally, Hugh, we've had some questions sent in from our Twitter followers. As Swansea fans Ryan Poulton and Matthew Morgan both want to know, how do you think Swansea will do this season, bearing in mind you finished ninth last season? It's a tough one to answer. I think our, our aim always is on a side of caution to stay in the Premier League and get enough points to do that. There's no doubt we had a great season last year, winning the Capital One Cup as well. But I think between now and Christmas, with the Europa League games as well, just to try and get as many points on the board as we can in the Premier League games and see where we get to win Cup games and then really assess in January. But our aim, as always, to make sure we're in the Premier League for next season and beyond. Hugh Jenkins, Swansea City Chairman, thank you very much. Thank you. Well, do you guys see them finishing in the top half of the table again? Or do you think perhaps the Europa League will take it out of them? Well, that's just what I was going to say. My fear is the Europa League, we've seen it with uh, the clubs, just how difficult it is. It's managing players and the squad and this psychological issue of playing you know, Thursdays, Sundays, and, and it does disrupt the flow of a club. And I, I think that's the biggest fear. I think they'll take a, a slight dip. I think they'll finish 12th. But, uh, I mean, that's still a good season. Let's look at Swansea's Welsh neighbours, Cardiff, next, who've started their first top-flight season for 51 years in impressive fashion. Here's their satisfied manager, Malky Mackay. I think at the moment it's a solid start, if you'd said that, in terms of the, the teams we've played as well. A team that finished sixth in the league, a team that finished second in the league. You know, we're playing against top teams so far. It gives us confidence going forward, but we've got to make sure that we keep going from that. It's a springboard for us. John, when they started that first game of the season at West Ham and they lost and they were pretty poor by all accounts, people were predicting them to go straight back down then came that home win over Manchester City and suddenly they're finishing top half of the table. Well, and I think it is going to be a, a roller coaster ride for them. You know, it's always going to be difficult. Home support against City, a game that, that had everything. And they've added players in in the right areas and that excites me. The trouble is, obviously, you know, one week you're going to win a game, you don't want to get too excited and too carried away. The next week you might lose a game where you don't want to get the players suddenly losing confidence or two or three games. So it's a case of getting keeping the balance there, keeping the right perspective on what the challenges are going to be this season. To beat Man- 
Manchester City at the start, obviously, as just what they wanted to give confidence. But I think it'll be a real struggle all season for Cardiff. The crowd will be worth a few points. I think that will also apply to Crystal Palace, but we'll no doubt talk about them later. But I think it will be a struggle to avoid relegation. I wouldn't like to say which way it'll go. It hasn't been quite such a good start for fellow newcomers Hull City, who sit down in 18th place, but they have got their first win on the board, that 1-0 victory over Norwich, and their two defeats have been away at Chelsea and Manchester City. So, all in all, it's been a satisfactory start for manager Steve Bruce. I mean, we couldn't have asked for anything more. We just got Achilles heelers even last year in the Championship. was Can we score enough? Certainly we've got really, really good players and we've added to that and you can see why we've come out of the Championship with, with some of the football we played, but we need to score. Goals, goals, goals. That's what people spend all these millions of pounds on. And Steve Bruce tried to spend a few million on Shane Long, but it didn't come off. Do you think that's going to be a key issue for him? Yeah, it is. I mean, you talk about goals, goals, goals. You're absolutely right. Shane Long was, you know, with the Lukaku move not happening with West Brom and the deal not going through. Very frustrating. I mean, he strengthened midfield very well with Huddleston and Livermore. But, you know, a lot with these promoted sides and the sides around the bottom, it's the goals they concede as well. Ultimately, it's about goals, 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 because... That breeds confidence in the team. It gives them the platform to be able to go and play and express themselves. Just how vital, Paddy, do you think the experience of Steve Bruce will be this season for Hull? Be one of the main assets, having a manager who knows the course. The problem could be, as, as you've rightly identified, goals. Danny Graham's a very good footballer, but I don't think he's a great goal scorer. The question of goals will make it a marginal season, yeah. Coming up, we'll be speaking to Crystal Palace defender Dean Moxie and we'll be hearing from Marouane Fellaini as well as James Milner and Theo Walcott. You're listening to the official Barclays Premier League podcast with Jackie Oatley. Let's focus on the third and final newly promoted side now, Crystal Palace, who, like Cardiff and Hull, have got an early win on the board after seeing off Sunderland 3-1 at Selhurst Park last time out. One man who played in that game, as well as their previous two matches, is the Palace left-back, Dean Moxie. Hi, Dean. Hiya. It's your first experience of playing in the Barclays Premier League. How have you found it so far? Very exciting, to be honest with you. Uh, obviously, it's everybody's dream. Like any football you play in the Premier League. And, uh, yeah, I've enjoyed every second of it. You started the season with very narrow defeats at home to Spurs and then away at Stoke. And somewhat surprisingly, there were some supporters calling for Ian Holloway's head. I mean, did that come as a shock to the players that the criticism started so early? It's ridiculous, to be honest with you. Uh, you know, Oli, he had a great season with Blackpool, unfortunately. On the last day, they got relegated, but um, he gave it a great goal with them. And after three games, for some fans, I don't even class them as fans, to be honest with you. They're, they're calling for his head because we've lost against Tottenham, who we were pushing for the Champions League and away to Stoke. So it's just stupid, I think. Dean, what's uh, what's Oli's great attributes as a manager? We, we see his sort of public persona and everything else. What, what's he like on the training ground? To be honest with you, exactly what you see on TV and everything like that, he's like that on the training ground. He's full of energy. He's positive about everything. And he tries to put that across to the players. He always says that if you can't be happy in the Premier League, then you, you won't be happy anyway. We saw Oli on the touchline after the Sunderland victory doing a, a little jig of delight, a little yeah. dance. What was he like in the dressing yeah. room afterwards? Uh, you, you couldn't hear anyone else over the top of him. He was doing exactly the same. He's, like I said just now, what you see on the TV is exactly what he's like. He's dancing around. He's always happy. He always says, if you see me unhappy, then I'll give you permission to be unhappy. But you never do see him unhappy, so we're not allowed to be either. Any little stories you'd like to tell us about what, what Ollie's been like, either over the summer or since you've been working with him? Not really, no. I don't think I expect that will go down too well. <laughs> oh, we would in the studio. Don't worry about that. <laughs> I know, I know that. <laughs> well, luckily for you, it's a nice straightforward game on Saturday. Manchester United at Old Trafford. For you personally, how much are you looking forward to it? Are you nervous? Are you excited? 
No, I'm excited. I'm, I'm not nervous. Um, obviously, they're the champions, and uh, it's the team I've supported since I was a young boy as well. It's going to be a dream come true to play against them on the same stage. We've, I, I played against them when I was at Exeter in the FA Cup. We drew 0-0 with them there. And then a couple of seasons ago, we, we actually went there in the Carling Cup and beat them. So hopefully, we can take our form. That I think with the three games we've played, we've been playing really some really good football. So hopefully, we can keep doing what we do on the pitch and uh, hopefully get a result. Well, you signed 15 new players. They've signed Marrow and Fellaini. How much are you looking forward yeah. to playing against him? Um, it's a weird one because there's a lot of people saying, oh, he's not a Man United player, but you see what he's done at Evan. He's been a fantastic player since he's been there and David Moyes obviously likes him, so he's a handful. He's, I watched him against Scotland the other night and he played well, so he's going to be out to impress the doubters that think he's not a Man United player, so he's going to be a handful and it's not just him. They've got world-class players in every position, so uh, yeah, it's, it's going to be a tough game. We all know that, but we're going there to try and get the win. Dean, what's it like at training with so many new faces? <laughs> To be honest with you, um, a lot of them have been away on uh, international duty, so we've only met a couple of them so far. So I wait for the other 15,000 to come in. Dean, we have a question from one of our Twitter followers for you. Palace fan Rebel X asks, who out of the 15 new Palace signings are you most keen to play alongside? I'm not really sure, to be honest. They're, they're all fantastic players. Obviously, Cameron Jerome's come in and he's been fantastic. He's not obviously not getting a, a proper chance at Stoke, but I'm not really sure, to be honest. There's, there's a lot of different players. Andy Johnson would have been good if we if we'd have got him in up front, obviously with Glenn Murray out, but I'm I'm just looking forward to this whole season to be honest with you. Like I said, it's my first season in the Premier League and I want to stay there. Well talking of staying there, would that constitute success for you? Yeah, definitely. If we finish one goal above the bottom three then that would be a great season for us and people have written us off before we even kicked the ball, before we even got promoted or anything like that. So uh yeah, staying up is our main aim and that's what we're going to do. Dean Moxie, thank you very much. No problem, thank you. Well, next up for Crystal Palace this weekend is a small matter of Manchester United at Old Trafford. The champions have got off to a mixed start under new manager David Moyes with a win, a draw and a defeat coming from their first three matches. So, our early thoughts on David Moyes, John? Well, it was always going to be uh, a very, very difficult job. Uh, it's been complicated by the transfer saga that's gone on at the club. It's been complicated by the issues surrounding Rooney. It's been complicated by so many things, and it's it's following the footsteps of Sir Alex Ferguson. But, you know, uh, Ed Woodward's come in there as the chief executive. David Gill's left, Ferguson's left. It's such a monumental change and a huge challenge for him personally that... I don't think anybody should be surprised that it's been difficult, but they haven't done great business. That's the fundamental problem at United. And, and in that sense, you then you want to hit the ground running. And if they haven't and they lost against Liverpool and suddenly the pressure builds and builds and builds and players get slightly disillusioned and that becomes harder and harder to suddenly pick yourselves back up again. And Ed Woodward is the man who's taken oh. all the flack for the, <laughs> the lack of, of recruitment this summer, Fellaini aside. Is that fair? And how difficult a job has it been for him he's, coming into that role? He's certainly had his 15 minutes of fame, hasn't he? There can't be many uh, chief executives who get so many headlines as poor Ed Woodward. But um, I think it's, it is a little bit unfair, given that his predecessor, David Gill, is still a director of Manchester. Manchester United. So Alex Ferguson is still a director of Manchester United. There's enough communal expert and David Moyes is a brilliant uh, transfer market manipulator, proved it over more than a decade at, at Everton. There's more than enough of a brains trust at Manchester United, not to blame one man. That said, I think that the main danger to Manchester United under the Moyes regime, and this was always going to be the case, is that they won't miss Sir Alex Ferguson so much because Moyes is, is definitely Fergie Mark too. I still have a feeling that they might be champions again. Do 
you now. Mm. Controversial from Paddy Barkley there. Not for the first time. Not at the last, either. <laughs> no, not in this podcast, <laughs> even. <laughs> Stay tuned for more, folks. Well, Marianne Fellaini was brought in for £27.5 million. Let's hear from him now. I know Everton want to, to get me, but I played five years for Everton. It's the time to, uh, for me to, to leave. And thank you for, for Everton, for supporter. It's a new story for me now. I want to, to win a trophy. I want to play Champions League and with Man United, I can. How important is that match for Manchester United against Crystal Palace? Not just the result, but also the performance to convince the fans that they can be champions again. Well, right now, I think uh, the result is is the most important thing. You get a result, I think United fans will feel comfortable that they're going to maybe get things back on track. For me, you know, it's how Fellaini fits in. I think there's so many questions unanswered about this United team and how they're going to perform. Yes, performance is everything. I think more important is getting that win and getting these players to embrace David Moyes. That's the biggest fear is what is going on in that dressing room. How are the players reacting? Let's concentrate on two of United's main title rivals now, Chelsea and Manchester City, who've both started promisingly, sitting in second and third spots respectively. Well, Chelsea first, Paddy. Mourinho's picked up from where he left off, it seems. Absolutely. I mean, you won't find a, a non-smiling face around Stamford Bridge. And of course, he's, he's not just returned and smiled at people. He's actually gone out and bought and strengthened. The, the abundance, I hope it's not an overabundance, of creativity in the midfield is just mind-boggling. William is a player I'm really excited to see. Schurler's a good personality. He's going to be a tremendous asset. And Samuel Eto'o, well, there's no risk there, is there? I mean, he's just a, just a great player. I said I fancied Manchester United maybe to sneak the title. It's hard to look past Chelsea. So maybe it's just going to be a tougher race in the Barclays Premier League this season. That There is just so much quality. We're looking forward to seeing Mourinho mostly in press conferences, John Scales. But when he went to Old Trafford and didn't pick a striker and it was a dour nil-nil draw, we thought, oh yes, there's the other other side of Mourinho that's returned as well. Yeah, you're right. I mean, that was a lot of the criticism at Real Madrid and has, has haunted him, if anything could haunt him, with the success he's had. Again, as, as Paddy says there, with, with the players they've got at the disposal, you can't help but suspect they'll be up there in the in the top two challenging. I would always go for Mourinho to have, I think, the edge this season because of his experience, because of the personality he is. And for me, he's the standout manager who really might just set them apart. Well, on to Manchester City. A satisfactory start to life at the Etihad for Pellegrini. How would you assess his start, John? Slightly worrying. I don't think all is great there. I mean, look, injuries certainly in the in the centre of defence is a big issue for him. You know, with company, Michael Richards, Jimmy Kalis now injured, having arrived to plug a gap. They just look a little bit out of sorts up front certain issues to sort of address and get the balance right. So, yeah, no, I think from that perspective, Pellegrini's got a, a big challenge, like Mourinho, like David Moyes, like all of them, you know, all the players they've brought in. What you can't deny is they've brought in great, great quality. And I think with great quality comes confidence and an ability to be able to win games at ease. But it's what system he employs, how he brings those players, how he gets the best out of them. Well, a player who's come under fire recently is the City goalkeeper Joe Hart. And teammate James Milner feels the criticism's been harsh. Everyone has ups and downs in forms and uh, maybe people expect him to play that high level he's set all the time. I think last year one game stands out in the Champions League. I think it was a Dortmund at home and I think we ended up drawing the game and we could have easily lost 8-9-1 and he kept us single-handedly in the game. So when you're England's number one, people just remember the bad side as well and the good things are expected. But, you know, Hart is an amazing keeper and they'll only make him stronger with what's being said. He just concentrates on his football. He's not bothered about that. Has the criticism been fair, Paddy? Yeah, of course it has. It comes with the territory. 
But I think, you know, as James Milner says, you know, he, he's, he's a class goalkeeper. You don't lose that overnight. I've seen bigger goalkeeping crises than, than Joe Hart's. The only problem is that it's carried over from one season to another. But I think he'll be OK. I don't think goalkeeping will be the problem. I think the problems will be just in front of the goalkeeper. City rely far too much on Vincent Company at the back. Yes, and he'll be out possibly till yeah. October. Well, coming up, we'll be speaking to former Aston Villa and Celtic midfielder Stylian Petrov. But now it's time for our halftime tweets. And this week, it's all about transfer deadline day. Mara Amphelaini had a message for his old club after his move to Old Trafford. I just want to say thank you to Everton and all the Evertonian fans for all these last years. Manchester City's Vincent Company suggests Fellaini's former club have been left in good shape. Everton made two great signings in Barry and Lukaku, he says, a clever piece of business and arguably the best of the transfer window. Peter Odenwingi was pleased to say the least after his move from West Brom. Absolutely delighted to be joining Cardiff City. I can't wait to hear the fans roar. I promise goals. And a couple of fans have been tweeting about which club did the best business in the transfer window. Matt Geard says, Marco Arnautovic to Stoke. Cheap, young and should be a monster in the Barclays Premier League. And Rosa from Auckland tweeted, Everton's business was class all round, but being an Arsenal fan, the best signing has to be Mesut Ozil. Remember, you can keep up to date with everything that's going on in the Barclays Premier League by following at Barclays Footy with a Y on Twitter. Hashtag YouAreFootball. Alongside me is respected football journalist Paddy Barkley and former England and Liverpool defender John Scales. So to North London next, where both Arsenal and Spurs have matched each other's starts with two wins and a defeat apiece. Which of the two teams do you think will be happier, John, with the start they've made? I think they can both be as equally satisfied. I mean, Arsenal, clearly after the start they had and the crisis in the transfer market and that loss against Villa and, you know, at home as well, it really was crisis time. That's been swept away with the results they've got with the performance against Tottenham and the signing of Mesut Ozil. So I think, you know, Wenger will be very satisfied, but it was a stressful time for Arsenal fans. Spurs, on the other hand, yeah, I think they'll be satisfied. I think Andre Villas-Boas will know he'll be incredibly relieved that he's got the whole Bale saga out, that they've done great business, they've strengthened the team exceptionally well. As as Paddy was saying, though, you know, Willian was the one for me that was the player that they absolutely essentially needed. And that's my only fear. The likes of Lamela, I'm incredibly excited about him, the prospects he's going to uh, display in the Barclays Premier League this season. I think he's going to bring the place to light. But um, again, the big issue is is the system and fitting the players in and getting the right balance. Arsenal supporters, Paddy, went from intensely frustrated yeah. to intensely elated after the signing of Ozil. But it is just one player. Do you not get a little concerned that if he were to get injured early on, that's their entire transfer window gone and they haven't strengthened at all effectively? If Mesut Ozil plays as Mesut Ozil can, they will in fact have signed about six players. I'll tell you why. Because Walcott will get better. Podolski, when he gets, when he's fit again, will get better. The centre forward, whoever it is, Giroud, will get better because he'll and he'll score more goals. He's capable of transforming the whole whole team. Of course, your first reaction is to say not another number ten, but I think he'll. Uh, I mean, this one is special. He's a player who plays for the team. He's a technician who plays for the team. Well, Özil's new teammate Theo Walcott's looking forward to playing on the same side as the German. It's very exciting. I, I played against him for the under twenty ones uh, when we lost actually four uh, nil. He showed his qualities then. He showed him throughout many years now for you know for his club and country um it's gonna be a great addition like i said i'm really excited to play with him 
Well, just to back you up there, Paddy, because we like to do that on this Barclays Premier League Someone podcast. <laughs> yeah. John's not going to, and I don't normally, <laughs> oh, I but I will. I will on this occasion. You're saying that he'll bring so much more out of the other players. Yeah. Well, last season at Real Madrid, he had the most assists of any player in the mm. top five uh. European leagues. Well, That's a useful but, statistic. Yeah, but hasn't he something? It's like something like 94 uh, in excess of 90 assists and goals in the last three years. I mean, he has been consistently the outstanding top performer in that area. Absolutely. Let's talk about Tottenham's transfers a little bit because nobody's really spoken about Gareth Bale all summer. So I think it's only right that we do. Okay, mm. not for too long. <laughs> we're so we're so <laughs> sick to death of this, aren't we? 85.3 million pounds. I mean, various people. I mean, Zinedine Zidane's the latest to say it's a ridiculous, overpriced amount of money. But he's gone now, and it's great business for Tottenham, isn't it? Yeah. Do you know what? I think it's a, it's a win-win all round. I mean, if Spurs had denied Gareth Bale the chance to go there, which they wouldn't have done uh, with that sort of money, it would have been crazy. The fact they've gone in and did the great business in signing seven or eight players, spent the money wisely. They got another 25 or 30 million, I thought, very well with Huddleston and Livermore and a couple of others going. So overall, it's a pretty much a, a, an even net spend. I think everybody's a winner. Well, currently sandwiched in between Arsenal and Tottenham in fifth place, a Stoke City. Let's hear from their manager, Mark Hughes, who feels he's starting to impose a new style on the team. Well, I think you can see that we get the ball down and we pass and move um, when we have to be strong and we have to understand what's required. Then we have to clear our lines and regroup and that, that never changes. It doesn't matter what team you're in charge of or what team you're playing for. So those are fundamentals that are endemic in the game. So uh, and we'll keep on doing that. We'll get better as, as a team uh, because I've got a fantastic group to, to work with. I've got guys that understand what it takes to, to win Premier League games and, and be solid and see games out and it's a joy to work with. Another stat for you, Paddy. Stoke fired in the few shots on target from outside the box last season but so far this season they've attempted the most I saw them at West Ham recently I mm. was completely stunned by the immediate change in the style of play they played possession keep ball football admittedly West Ham were dreadful but he has implemented those changes so quickly yeah he has I mean you know I think that's no more demonstrated than the sort of players he's recruiting Stephen Ireland's come in uh, Eric Peters from PSV Eindhoven you know left back who's going to clearly be very good going forward but want to play out from the back and absolutely you're right you know Mark Hughes is and, and has always made it clear I think from day one that he wants to get Stoke playing differently you can't be predictable in this league and, and to developing the style of play and moving Stoke forward and that's exactly what they needed with Tully Pulis moving on Big mm. test now for Mark Hughes against his former club Manchester City at the Britannia next how do you think he'll fare? I think he'll love it <laughs> and I think that what he'll what Manchester City will find is that he'll produce a, a team a little bit like his Blackburn Rovers team you know if you, if you look back to that that. There were the two guys, and there was you know that kind of lovely passing. My word, they didn't take too many prisoners. And I think I think with that combination, Stoke will be heading in an upward direction again. It's been a slightly more inauspicious start for Everton and their new manager Roberto Martinez, who, although unbeaten, sit down in fifteenth place in the table. But how encouraged will they be by the fantastic transfer deadline day that they had? I think they'll be very encouraged. I think that again, you know, you talk about changes in the style of play. I think there will be as as at Stoke there will be a change, perhaps less dramatic at Everton, uh, who were a more balanced side, still played a bit of football. I think they play even more football now. I think the fans have already noticed that, the ball being sort of stroked around the back, which they weren't used to. I agree that the signings are very good. Um, Barry has certainly got something to prove that he's a, a 1-11 to 11 starter rather than a squad player. And I think that uh, that will be very good for Everton. And also the, the pace up front uh, now, which uh, will only be increased... Uh, by Lukaku, very, very exciting. 
um, in each of his gone, but Lukaku, even more exciting type of player uh, to, to partner Kone up front. I mean, I think uh, I think it's going to be another good season for Everton. Well, let's hear from Roberto Martinez now about those new signings. Romelu Lukaku, um, I think he's got everything to be a, a real number nine, a real reference up front. James McCarthy is a young talent, uh, an incredible potential for the future that is going gonna, is gonna to bring something different that we haven't got in that midfield. And Gareth Barry, when you bring someone that has won the league, he's got a, an FA Cup medal, for me is, is, is a, a special a special footballer to offer the football club. How difficult do you think it will be for those Everton players who spent so long under David Moyes adapting their style of play to suit that of Roberto Martinez? I think it'll take a month or two before we see the best of Everton. You know, I think we're going to see the old Everton pattern of the the season starts at Christmas, you know. But in a different guise, of course, because the, the style will be different. They will play from the back, but they're equipped to do it. You know, Coleman at right back, you know, is, a, is, is, is almost a midfield player. Stones, the new lad they've bought, who's going to be a tremendous player, uh, as in, is an attacking right back. You know, Jagielka can play. Mm. I mean, he was a midfield player. Uh, so they might have a few teething problems, but make no mistake, and Leighton Baines, you know, I mean, you won't find a better footballing mm. left-back than him. So they, they can play all the way through the team. And I've, I'm looking forward to McCarthy playing, you know, as, a, as an attacking midfield player. I think a player of his gifts uh, should be scoring double figures in the, in the season. And I bet Roberto Martinez, when he talks about potential and unlocking, well, I mean, we've already seen a good player. He's been a good player mm. since he was a teenager and a yep. Premier League player. But um, he obviously feels that he can become a really, really top-ranked player and 10 goals a season will, will make him that. Well, languishing down at the foot of the table are two clubs who had high hopes at the start of the season, Sunderland and West Brom. Let's look at Sunderland first, John. Uh, Paolo Di Canio's brought in a lot of new signings, most of them from abroad. Has he brought in too many players? Well, time will tell, won't it? I mean, uh, you know, I think history tells us when clubs have brought in so many players, it, it causes issues within the dressing room. It causes issues within the pattern of play. It causes issues with so many different personnel playing one week to the next. And if things don't go well and hit the ground running at the start, then yes, he'll change and bring in other players. Yeah, it's it's going to be difficult. He plays very much with the, with the wide players. Giacarini is going to be very crucial. I think Johnson on the other side. Key, the other sign from Swansea, playing in midfield. You could go through it. I mean, they've got quality in there. That's undoubted. The biggest issue is can Di Canio keep the peace with himself, not necessarily with yeah. the players, but you know, with himself first and foremost, and then obviously the uh, the atmosphere within the dressing room and the reaction the players have to him. There are a lot of question marks, Paddy, about Paolo Di Canio. When he was brought in, eyebrows were raised. Yes. What sort of job do you expect him to do there this season? I haven't a clue. I'm sorry, but I just don't know. I mean, when you when you bring in so many players and a new manager... Now, clearly, Sunderland had to do something. The club, they'd, they'd invested heavily with successive managers, culminating in Martin O'Neill. Now, who could have predicted that Martin O'Neill wouldn't be successful at Sunderland? It looked like a marriage made in heaven. I can remember for, wondering if it was going to be the equivalent of uh, Kevin Keegan's arrival at Newcastle, which did so much for the prestige of the Barclays. Didn't Premier have League. all of his it, backroom staff, it, though, did he? We no, seem no. to make a difference. It didn't. didn't no, it didn't. That's, that is very true. So what Sunderland have done is basically you know, throw a firecracker into it and, and see what, what comes out. I, I wish I could say. I mean, obviously, if players like Key and Borini produce the form that they were brought to their previous clubs to produce, it could happen. And, and certainly there'll be a lot of professionalism, there'll be a lot of personality supplied by Di Canio. But if you ask me whether they'll finish fifth from top, 
fifth from bottom. I'm sorry, <laughs> I really am going to have to pass. I don't know. OK, we'll let you off. We'll come back to it Thanks. at the end of the season, OK? Right. Maybe March time. Well, as for West Brom, they sit rock bottom of the table with a solitary point and no goals to their name. But manager Steve Clark isn't panicking just yet. We showed that we're a team that can create chances and we've got players that can score goals, so that doesn't concern me. The three boys we've got, Marcus Rosenberg, Shane Long and Matty Vidra, are good. The, the, they've all got goals in them. They show that every day in training. Uh, so I, I've got goals in the team. I'm not, I'm not worried about it. Why do you think they've started so badly, John? I, I can't put my finger on it, but I, I do know that you know one point from the first three games will not be good for the feeling in the dressing room. It is so important. Tables don't mean anything particularly when you look at it after three games. We're looking and you can't read too much into it. What you can read into it is the sense of optimism within the dressing room and confidence for those group of players there, you know, is everything. And, you know, if, if they don't get a good win within the next two games, that confidence will just slip away another notch. I could be a little bit fearful for West Brom. I don't know. I've just got a gut instinct that Steve Clark's a great manager. He's done so well. I just, I just, I think they might struggle this season. Well, they haven't scored a goal yet, but they do have Nicholas and Elka there, and they've brought in the likes of Sessignon and Anichebe. So goals coming soon. Well, yeah. The trouble is they've lost the goals of Odimwingi and Lukaku, and I think it'll be a season of struggle and one in which Steve Clark has to prove. I mean, already acknowledged as one of the best number twos in the game. He has to prove that he's a real number one. Well, let's move on now to one of the most inspirational stories in football for many a year. Stylian Petrov retired from the game last season after a 12-month battle with leukaemia whilst at Aston Villa. The former Bulgarian international has established a foundation to support people going through similar experiences. And in an emotional charity match at the weekend, a Stylian Petrov 11 beat a Celtic 11 5-3 at Celtic Park, where Stylian spent seven years as a player. And I'm delighted to say that Stan joins us now. Hi, Stan. Hello. Just how emotional was that day for you? It was very emotional. Um, I said before the game that I'll try not to cry because I think if I started crying, I, I wouldn't stop. But I couldn't hold it. People after the game were saying, well, how is it felt? I, I just say, I just had a limp in my throat and I, I couldn't say a word. And uh, it was really emotional. And it was a special, special day for me, for my family. And I think for everybody that was involved, the fans, the players, staff, everybody. You've obviously had to give up your professional career because of your illness. What was it like for you being back out there on the pitch? To be honest, I didn't want to come off, <laughs> but I felt a bit tired, so uh, I needed to come off. I felt great, you know. They've told me a long time ago that I needed to stop my career. I couldn't play football again. And a um, couple of months, I tried to not believe it, tried to fight it, tried to say, well, I can, I can, but... After that, my treatment was getting harder and harder and I could see why they were saying to me why I, I need to stop. So I needed to make that decision. It was very difficult. That's what I've done all my life, playing football, running after the ball. But at that stage, it was something more important than that fighting for my life. You had a huge amount of support from the football family as well. What did it mean to you to have such big-name players giving up their time to come along and play and support you? It was incredible. You know, like I said before, every single one that I spoke with they said straight away, yes. Even the current players, you know, they had the clubs. I need to get permission from the clubs, but everything went very sm very smoothly. Everybody said yes straight away. Club was brilliant, and I was really delighted to see everybody there. How difficult was it to get that clearance for big-name players who have a lot to play for, the likes of John Terry, to actually play? To be honest, uh, Jose Mourinho was, uh, was brilliant. John spoke to him, and we sent an invitation to the club. He said straight away, no problem. 
obviously only restriction we had is he needed to play only 45 minutes so that was uh, good enough for us and the names of uh, Gareth Barry and Berbatov and Agbonaho and Shea Given they all had their clearance straight away every club was so supportive You've had so much support from fans as well at Celtic, but also at Aston Villa, where you've had to finish your career. What has that meant to you, particularly when the Villa fans clap in the 19th minute of every match to celebrate your shirt number? You know, that's something unique. The support, I've always said that people going through something like that, they need the support. And the amount of support I had, I wish everybody can get this support because it's a terrible, terrible disease to go through. And, you know, the outcome, you never know. But, you know, I'm really delighted from their support, from the 90th minutes, from all the letters, emails, everything. I'm so happy and I thank them all. I've thanked them so many times and I'll keep thanking them every time I've got opportunity. Tell us a little bit about your foundation that you've set up. I went through, like you say, something really terrible. And I saw how hard it is. I saw how important it is to find a cure for this disease because a lot of people suffering and the treatment is really hard. It's uh, side effects and everything. So much then. The main thing I'm going to support is the researchers. I went to look at a few labs and I saw how close some of the researchers are closing to actually get the success for this treatment. And I'm going to help with that. And I'm going to help also the families for their accommodation. You know, when the kids having treatment, they can be closer to their kids. The support in these hard uh, moments are, are very important. Sounds a wonderful foundation. We have a couple of Twitter questions for you now, Stan, if we may. One from at Mr. S. Palakar says, Stan, you're an inspiration to many. What do you think you've learned most about life from all that's happened? To appreciate the little things in life, like getting up in the morning, seeing my family, spending time with my family and just being alive. And Mr. at Luke Lynch 10 says, what's the highlight of your career? I think making my debut for my national team as a kid, I loved watching the national team. I want to become a footballer and play for my national team. So the first game that I've played for my, my national team, I think was my, the highlight. You did some coaching for Aston Villa's under-21s in May, but you decided last month that a full-time job was a little bit too much at the moment. But do you see that you may return to a coaching role in the future? Maybe, yeah. At this present moment, I found it very difficult with the long working hours. When you work with the kids, you need to be concentrated all the time. You need to teach them, you need to show them. And physically and mentally, I wasn't ready for that. So I'm a man who can do properly his job. I step aside. I'm still doing my coaching badges. And maybe in the future, why not? Just finally, Stan, what do you think Villa's chances of doing well are this season? Will you be going along to watch them much? Yeah, I watch them all the time. I still support them and I will be watching them. And the way they started the Premier League this season was incredible. And, uh, you know, I'm looking forward for the young team that we'll have got to perform very well and finish in the top 10 this season. Stylian Petrov, thank you so much for joining us. Thank you very much. Obviously a hugely emotional day. And before kick-off, over 60,000 supporters were singing You'll Never Walk Alone. Phenomenal scenes there, Paddy. Oh, absolutely. I, I was there when Celtic provided the opposition after, for Liverpool after Hillsborough. And that was one of the most moving uh, experiences I've ever had in uh, in football. The 60,000 sang You'll Never Walk Alone, obviously, then. For it to happen, in the case of Stan Petrov, obviously was great. I mean, what I liked best of all was seeing him in a football strip. Because <laughs> that's that's what we all hope, you know, that he'd be able, able to pull a, pull a shirt on again. 
And, uh, you know, may his remission continue forever. I mean, it's, it, it was a great day. Just a few more clubs to cover before we go. West Ham, Norwich, Newcastle and Southampton all sit on four points, having won one, drawn one and lost one. And out of those four clubs, John, and Newcastle, the ones who have the most to prove this season, bearing in mind that Joe Kinnear came in somewhat controversially upstairs. Well, I know Joe from my days at Wimbledon and, you know, my manager and he's an interesting character, Joe. You know, one minute you love him, one minute you hate him. At the moment, I think there's a lot of, uh, not a lot of love up there on uh, in Newcastle and, and I can see why. Uh, Alan Pardew has, has, in a way, sort of had, had his authority taken down a notch. I don't know if that was deliberate by Mike Ashley. I don't know quite what the context of all that was. Clearly, Joe knows knows him very well, but uh, I think Alan Pardew, you know, has got more important things and much more crucial role to play at the club than Joe. And that's about getting the players playing football and all the speculation about Kabaye, Loic Remy, the only sort of signing there of any substance is is a real concern because they needed more quality. They needed to move forward. They needed the, the players to feel like the club is is going to make progress and take the next step because it was a difficult, difficult year last year. And if, if things continue the way they are, it's going to be even harder. And there are no English players currently in the starting eleven with Stephen Taylor out, as opposed to Southampton, Paddy. Rio yeah. Ferdinand criticising Newcastle for that, but saying how good it is that Southampton are producing young English talent. And they have three 18-year-olds in the starting lineup in James Ward-Prowse, Luke Shaw and Callum Chambers, which is... That'd be a little bit positive to grab hold of, isn't it? Oh, definitely think so. Luke Shaw's going to be an outstanding player at left back. You know, we've had uh, Ashley Cole and Leighton Baines, and this lad is capable of following in their footsteps. Very, very exciting player. Could play outside left, you know, a real footballer. And the other two have got prospects as well. So that, that's really, really exciting from, from the English point of view. But I think possibly the best signing of the summer, Victor Wanyama from Celtic. I saw him, the Kenyan midfield player, play for Celtic last season against uh, Barcelona in the Champions League. And he was the best player on a, on a field that contained Lionel Messi. Enough said. He's real class. He really is. Very simple player. And I think he can do, perhaps for Southampton, an element of what Patrick Vieira used to do for uh, for Arsenal. A real coup for yeah, Southampton. Very much then. So. Well, West Ham and Norwich, John, finished 10th and 11th respectively last season. Which of them do you think a better place to have a top half finish this season? I think Norwich, without doubt. You know, I think they've been very shrewd in the transfer market, uh, whereas I don't think West Ham have particularly. I think West Ham have got all sorts of problems that still bubbling away today, uh, with Petric being sort of mentioned about the requirement for a striker. So I think, yeah, uh, Sam Allardyce is going to have a tough season there. I really do. But on Norwich, on the other hand, no, I'm, I'm really excited. I think they've bought very well. They've invested a lot of money, but the, he, he, he's done a fantastic job there, acquiring some great, talented players. I like the way they play football, and I'm excited about watching them every week. Yeah, West Ham really hamstrung by the financial fair play and mm. not being able to sign any more players because of the wage bill, not because they don't have the money. A real problem there for Sam Allardyce, particularly with Andy Carroll's injury. Well, we haven't mentioned Fulham yet, Paddy. Martin Yole has added creative midfielder Adel Tarabt. Mm. To a team that already includes Dimitar Berbatov. Have you noticed a change of style there? Yes, um, and it, it worries me. I, I never like to say that a squad has got too many frills in it, but uh, Berbatov, Brian Ruiz, and then you add Adel Tarab to it. And perhaps you need to have three balls, you know, for them playing it, <laughs> yeah. to paraphrase Joey Barton on the subject of <laughs> Lampard and Gerard, You know, obviously, they're such a lovely club. It's my local club, but I think it'll they'll do well to keep up the standard of recent seasons. I think also the loss of Mark Schwarzer gives a tremendous challenge even to a player of the class of uh, Martin Stecklenburg, who's come from Roma. So I would say that survival is the priority this season. 
Well, let's have a quick look through the weekend's Barclays Premier League fixtures now. Saturday lunchtime, Manchester United versus Crystal Palace. And in the English three o'clock kickoff, Stoke versus Manchester City, Sunderland Arsenal, Tottenham Norwich, Aston Villa Newcastle, Fulham West Brom, Hull Cardiff, Everton Chelsea. And on Sunday, Southampton versus West Ham. And on Monday, Swansea versus Liverpool. Brendan Rodgers returns. So which of the matches stand out for you there, John? Well, I was going to say Swansea-Liverpool. Well, I think you've got to say that the lunchtime kickoff actually um i think united palace is you know we've ian holloway going up there up against david moyes so much pressure on this group of manchester united players i think to to put a great performance in and get a convincing win but i think palace have equally got the uh, the opportunity to go up there with no fear it's going to be a great game i, I think i can't look beyond that one there's so much riding on every single mm, one yeah, of those fixtures when you look through but if you had to pick out just one paddy which oh, would it be just as one, mean i know well that, that's very very tough but yeah i would go for sunderland against Arsenal simply because of what we touched on earlier the unpredictability of Sunderland uh, the fact you always get a, a marvellous atmosphere up there at the Stadium of Light uh, and of course Arsenal with a good start that they finally made um, I think that makes it my pick of the day Why don't you tweet us your weekend predictions at Barclays Footy with a Y Well that's just about it for this week My thanks to John and to Paddy for your company Before we go we'll have a, a try at this week's trivia teaser Mesut Ozil will wear the number 11 shirt for Arsenal but can you name the other 8 players to have worn the number 11 for the Gunners during the Barclays pre- Premier League era. That's a difficult one this week. And if you think you know the answer, log on to the Barclays Football Facebook page and tell us what you think. We'll post the correct answers on the site later in the week. Remember, you can tweet us throughout the week at Barclays Footy with your footballing thoughts wherever you are in the world. We'll be back next week to look back on all the weekend's action, including Mesut Ozil's debut for Arsenal at Sunderland, an intriguing encounter between Everton and Chelsea at Goodison Park, and a tough away assignment for Liverpool manager Brendan Rodgers and his former employer Swansea. But until then, from John Scales, Paddy Barkley and me, Jackie Oatley, goodbye. You've been listening to the official podcast of the Barclays Premier League, brought to you by Barclays. Barclays.